Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast of East Cobb Presbyterian Church. I'm the Director of Student Ministries. My name is Jordan Ross. I look forward to sharing these podcasts with you weekly. These are talks and lessons and seminars given by our leaders, myself included, others on our church staff and in our youth ministry, and student leaders who give talks as well. We hope they're a time of encouragement, spiritual growth, and uh, just growing in your knowledge and love of the Lord. So we welcome you and hope to see you again soon. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you are here in this room right now, and thank you for all the people that you brought here tonight. Um, Lord, I just pray that every person here will deeply know your love and your grace, and, um, and just know how important you are and how important they are to you. Um, I pray that you will please speak through me tonight. Um, Lord, as this is my last lesson, I know I'm, I feel pressure um, to do this really well. I just pray that you'll help me to trust you and that you will speak through me. Um, Lord, I just pray that the gospel will be clearly presented and that if there's someone in this room who doesn't know it, that they will. Um, Lord, that you will soften our hearts and your spirit will move in this time, move through me, move in us, convict us, encourage us, remind us of who you are, God. Um, Thank you that we can come and worship not because of our works, not because of how we look or or, um, the good that we do, Lord, but because of your son Jesus and his sacrifice. Pray that we'll know that deeply tonight and that you will just bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so I am, Jordan gave me permission to break from our series um, so that I could do a special talk for my last talk. And just to be completely honest from the get-go, like, I really was in turmoil over what to talk on um, because I, I love you guys so much, and I obviously wanted it to be something that was from my heart and something that um, I, yeah, just thinking like, what is the last thing that I'd want this youth group to remember me saying? What's the last thing? Um, And so I've definitely thought through it a lot and prayed about it a lot. Um, And there's a lot of different ways I could go with this. Uh, I mean, I could make this something more like, let me look back at my time at East Cobb and talk about how God's moving. Or I could have shared my testimony. And you're probably already looking at that side and being like, what the heck? What, like, what is, what is that name? And why is this the last thing she's talking about? But you're going to see. Um, because the most important thing that I want to sit deeply in y'all's hearts, um, the thing that, the one thing, if you remember one thing from me, Um, the one thing that I want y'all to remember is the gospel, just basic, the truth of the gospel. Um, I want you guys to grasp God's grace for you more than anything else. Um, and I want y'all to deeply know that the gospel alone is what changes you and everything around you. And that the gospel is, is the center of everything. Um, the story of God's grace, grace and what he's done for us. 
Not just not what we do for him, but what he's done for us. That is what I want y'all to remember, because that is what is your hope. Um, so I picked a kind of weird passage for this. You would think I would go with something in like Ephesians or Romans if I'm trying to portray the gospel. But I picked uh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And the reason for that is because it is, to me, the most beautiful picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. So Jesus isn't in it, but the whole thing is pointing to Jesus, the whole story. Um, There's one pastor that said that this this story is the greatest illustration of grace in the entire Old Testament. And that's a big thing to say because the Old Testament's big. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of grace in it. Um, So I'm choosing this because I really believe it is a picture of the gospel And like I said, if you remember nothing else from me for being here, I want you to remember the gospel. So we're just going to read this. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not too long. It's just 13 verses. Um, And I highlighted some things that I want you guys to take special note of. So as I'm reading this, I just ask y'all to really think of why I would say this is a picture of the gospel. Like the way that you see Jesus in this story and we're gonna get there i'll tell y'all but just be thinking as i read how is this a picture of the gospel how does this show us god's grace um this story is beautiful and it has been a huge encouragement to me when i feel very unworthy of god's love and uh feel like a mess up and so i hope it's encouraging to y'all um so starting in verse one second samuel chapter nine and david said Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Macher, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Macher, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your father Saul, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. 
So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. All right, so that, that's kind of a lot. Um, but I'm going to first start out before we dig into this by looking at some of the background. Um, and then we're going to talk about how this is a picture of us and Jesus, um, because it's really beautiful when, when we dig into it. So just some background. Um, I'm sure some of you, maybe most of you, maybe half of you know about King David. Um, so at this point, David is king at this point. Um, and this guy, Saul, used to be, and if y'all know anything about their relationship, Saul was basically trying to chase David and hunt him down and kill him because he was jealous and um, he, he wanted to be king. And so he was trying to chase David, but David actually became like best friends with Saul's son named Jonathan. So they became really good friends. And David made this promise to Jonathan and said that he was going to take care of Jonathan's household and of, of Jonathan's family. Um, so Saul, like I said, used to be the king. Um, so what we see in the story is that Mephibosheth is Jonathan's son. Um, so David and Jonathan are friends. He's Jonathan's son, and he's Saul's grandson. So Saul is is David's or was David's arch enemy. Um, and this is the man that David is lavishing grace and love and kindness on. So we're going to look at three people. This is how we're going to go about this is looking at three different people. Two are in the story. Um, one isn't in the story, but it's who the whole story is pointing to. Who would that be? David. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> we, we are going to be looking at David. Yeah. So we're going to be looking at Mephibosheth. We're going to be looking at David, and then ultimately we're going to be looking at Jesus. Even though he's not in the story, the whole story is pointing to him. Okay, so first things about Mephibosheth. So what we learn from the get-go is, like I said, he's Saul's grandson, okay? So Saul and David are completely, I mean, imagine a person that's literally pursuing you and trying to kill you. And then imagine just lavishing this love on someone in their family, like, you wouldn't want to do that, right? I, I wouldn't want to do that. And we learn from the get-go that Mephibosheth is crippled in both of his feet. So it's clear that, obviously, there's not anything that he can do for David. He can't, there's nothing he can give to David. There's nothing he can repay. He's literally crippled. He, he can give nothing to David, um, at least in a, in a physical sense of working for him. We also learn where he's living um, it, there's a reason it says that in there. That every time there's something, a, a specific thing like this in scripture, it's for a reason. It's not just randomly thrown in there. So the place that he's living is actually, the name for it is No Pasture. That's the name of this place. So it's this barren, desolate place. So Mephibosheth is crippled. He's living in this place that is barren and desolate. Um, and because he's crippled, do you think he can walk to, to David's house? No. no. Well, how do you think he has to get there? Wheelchair. Yeah. I don't know if there were wheelchairs then, but someone has to carry him. Yeah. I mean, he, someone else is having to take him. So what, what is Mephibosheth doing to earn this? or to What is he doing? Nothing. nothing. Yeah, he's doing nothing, right? Um, and we learn that David says to him that you shall eat at my table always. So 
eating at a table in this time, this is a profound, this is a place of profound importance because he's given access to the king. Like this is this intimacy that he's being invited into and he's not just told yeah you can come on holidays but over and over it's repeated he'll always be there he'll always eat at my table it's it's like he's being adopted he's being treated as a son though he has nothing to contribute um it's all just because david is is abiding by the promise that he made to to jonathan um so we also see that Mephibosheth responds in humility because in, in verse, I think, verse 7, he says, or verse 8, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So he, he doesn't just call himself a dog. He literally says that he is a dead dog. He sees himself as worthless. And he's saying, who am I that you would just lavish this kindness on me? So those are some things that we see about Mephibosheth. And now we're going to look at David. So David in this story, David in the Bible is a picture of Jesus. And especially in this story, he's not perfect. Um, This is why Jesus had to come. But he's a picture of Jesus. So the first verse, what we see is that David says the reason that he wants Mephibosheth to come into his home is so that he may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Um, he wants to show him kindness. And, and this is an odd question that he's asking. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? Because like I've already said, Saul is the man that has tried to hunt David down and kill him. But David made a promise. And because David is a godly man, he's keeping this promise to his friend. He's keeping it. Um, I was studying up on this passage and listening to some sermons to prepare, and someone said, grace seeks out those that are unqualified to give them what is undeserved. That's what grace is. It seeks out those that are unqualified to give them what is undeserved. And that's what David is doing to to Mephibosheth here. And he doesn't say, is there anyone left that is worthy that I can show kindness to? Um, Is there anyone left that can help me or be a benefit to my house. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Um, He's not looking for someone that can do anything for him. He's just wanting to lavish his kindness on him. Um, And we see that David in this passage calls Mephibosheth by name. He immediately calls him by name. And what's the first thing that he says to him after he says his name? No, Mephibosheth says that. And he answered, oh, do not fear. Do not fear, yes, yes. So, <laughs> hey, yeah, you were very close, one verse off. Um, so he says, do not fear. So he calls him by name, and he tells him not to fear. And I love that there's an exclamation point here, because it just makes me think, you know, that he's excited to see him. He's not just like, hey, okay, glad you're here. You know, he's excited. He's pleased to see him. Um, so we see that David is keeping his promise. He's keeping his promise. And this ultimately is pointing to Jesus. Um, this is pointing to Jesus. Um, so like we said, and this is where I want to spend 
the remainder of, of our time because this is the gospel and this is the most important part. Um, so like, like I said earlier, can Mephibosheth do anything for David? No, he can't do anything. But David is lavishing kindness on him. And this reminds me of Ephesians 2, um, 2 verses 6 and 7. So this is what it says. It's talking about what, it's really just talking about the gospel. And it's saying that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So seated us with him. Did you catch that? Like sitting at a table? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That is a parallel of what we just read. He raises him up and this is us. This is what Jesus has done for you if you have put your faith in Jesus. He has raised you. He's given you a seat at his table so that, what is the so that? So that we may be free and no longer slaves to us. Yeah, I mean, yes, 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 that. Okay, yes, that's true. But what is, but, no, 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 but this verse, the focus of, what you said is true, Alba, but the focus of this verse, guys, quiet down, the focus of this verse is that so that he might show the riches of his grace and kindness. It's literally the story we just read. Mephibosheth could do nothing for David, but David made him, or got him to sit at his table and treated him like his son. This is the king. He treated him like his son just to show him kindness. That is what Jesus does for us. We, if we so easily fall into this thing that we think that we have to pay Jesus back or do enough good things to prove that we're Christians to ourselves or people around us. And this verse literally says that Jesus saved us to, to lavish kindness on us. And it seems almost too good to be true. I know it does for me sometimes when I read this. What this means for y'all is that you don't have to fight to find a place at a table anymore, at the table. Do y'all know what it's like to walk into a room and it's either a lunchroom or just an event where there are tables and you're by yourself and you don't know where to sit? Do y'all know that feeling? Who's ever had that feeling before? I, I literally just had that feeling last week. I was at this conference for other youth directors and even though I actually knew some people in that room when I walked in everyone was already talking to each other in their circles and I was like oh this is so awkward so I went to the bathroom because and I'm 99% extroverted but I literally was like I I feel so awkward I'm not gonna just like jump into one of these circles um and we go about life feeling that a lot like can we insert ourselves here do we belong do they want us to sit with them but what this scripture is saying is we have a place at the god of the universe the only one whose opinion matters we have a seat at his table and we don't have to fight to find a place anymore first peter 2 10 says once you were not a people but now you are god's people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What I absolutely love about this passage is do you notice the very last sentence? What does the very last sentence say? Now he was lame in both his 
Yeah. No, 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 no. To say that he was lame in both his feet is another way of saying he was crippled. So, no, no, no. This is just a way. He's blatantly stating it. He's not making fun of him. Um, But did you notice that? That it said that in the beginning. And then it says it again. So, Mephibosheth still is relying on the king. It's not that he was crippled in both his feet and then he got to the king's house and started sitting at his table and now he's healed. He's still having to rely on the king to show him kindness. And that's the place that we are. And this is where I'm going to move into the gospel. Let me not move ahead of myself. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were weak. It doesn't say when you had your act together. It doesn't say that Christ died for the godly or the good or the, or the ones that look great or the ones that have their good outweighing their bad or the ones that have their life together. Jesus came for the ones that didn't have their life together. Jesus saw after us just like David saw after Mephibosheth. He saw after him. He had to get someone to carry him to the, to the palace. He had to... Um, ask other people about him and he literally got these servants to serve him he saw after him and got him and that's what jesus did for us and jesus wants to lavish his love on you and you can't do anything to return to return anything back to him once you put your faith in jesus your heart he will the holy spirit will change your heart and you will you will want to follow him but it's out of thankfulness it's out of trust. It's out of love. It's not out of paying him back. Imagine if on Christmas Day, your parents gave you all these gifts and you're a kid and you go to your bedroom and get your piggy bank and try to get all your money and give it to your mom and dad and say, here, this is for my presents. What do you think your parents would do? <laughs> okay, I doubt they would take it. I think, I think they would probably be sad that you felt like you had to pay them back when they're just trying to show you that they love you, right? <laughs> and and that, is, that is Jesus. That is who Jesus is. Because Jesus came down and sought after us when we could not find a way to get to him, when we couldn't do enough good things to outweigh the bad. God is so above us and so holy and so pure and sinless that even our best works, the Bible says, are filthy rags before him. It's pretty strong language. Even the best things that you do before you're saved, they're filthy rags because nothing can reach God's standard of holiness. That's why God literally had to take on human skin and live the perfect life that you couldn't, that you'll never be able to live and die the death that you deserved and raise again from the dead to give you new life. That's why he rose. And when you put your faith in him, you're covered in Jesus's righteousness. You don't have to keep earning. You don't have to keep striving to earn God's love. You have it. You're seen as covered in Christ's obedience for you on your behalf. And since he rose from the dead, he gave you a new life. You're, you, now you have a new life, and now you won't want to keep living the same way because he'll change your heart. 
And what we see in the story is just like David treated Mephibosheth like a son. That is how Jesus sees you. It's so easy for us to fall back into this mentality that we are slaves. But God clearly in scripture says we are his children. Why are we relating to him like we're his slaves? He wants you to run to him like you would run to your dad. Um, we know that Luke 19, 10, it says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that, that is the point of the gospel. If you feel lost, if you feel confused, if you feel like you're the exception because no one else knows about this thing you're struggling with, and if they did, they wouldn't like you anymore. Or you, I, I know a lot of times in high school, and even now still, I struggle with <clears throat> feeling like, am I the only person that has all these issues and, and like feels this confused about my life? Have any of y'all felt that way before? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. He came to seek and save, not the ones that have it together, but the lost. And once you put your faith in him, he will, only he, only the gospel, what we just said, has the power to transform your life. Not trying hard, but trusting Jesus and trusting his spirit in you. That's the only thing that has the power to transform your life. As I was studying, I came across this beautiful little paragraph, and and I'm going to close this out in a second, about this story um, and about how this relates to, to the gospel. Actually, Jordan, I've, this is by um, the speaker at the middle school retreat last year that I wasn't able to go on, last summer, Travis. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, <clears throat> I listened to a sermon on this by him, and this is, um, he wrote this, this whole little thing that he said in his sermon, and I wanted to read this to y'all. This is just beautiful. He says, David risked his life to keep his word, but Jesus gave his life to keep his own. So this is him drawing the parallels of these stories. David searched for somebody to show kindness, but Jesus found a nobody to show grace. David pursued all the way to the barren place of the desert, but Jesus pursued all the way to the barren place of my soul. David refrained from giving him justice, but Jesus redeemed me by taking my justice. David proved to keep his promise to a father, but Jesus proved to be the promise of the father. David was able to keep alive, but Jesus was able to bring back to life. David accepted him like a son, but Jesus adopted me to become his son. David gave back what Mephibosheth once had, but Jesus gave me what I could never earn. David gave graciously, but Jesus gave abundantly. David covered up the brokenness of his body, but Jesus covered up the brokenness of my soul. David made a place to sit with the king, but Jesus made a way to feast with the king of kings, the Lord of lords, forever feast, forever rest, forever his. I am Jesus' Mephibosheth. You are Jesus' Mephibosheth. Broken and battered, scarred and scattered, torn and tattered, I followed another king. I sought another throne. I belonged to another kingdom. I was helpless and alone. My scars kept me hidden. My status kept me afraid. My wounds kept me unable. My past kept me away. The knock on the door that should have been my end was actually the moment when life began again. That while I was still unable is exactly when I was carried to the table. 
Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah, I love that. And if y'all want that, let me know and I can send it to y'all. But he just beautifully ties together this story and the gospel. And that what is true in this story is that David showed this kindness to Mephibosheth because of the promise he made. And that is the gospel that Jesus has shown this kindness to us, one, just because of his love, but also because of who he is as God and his father's will. And he, he cannot go back on his word. He has made this promise to us and he will not go back on his word. R.C. Sproul once said that you are secure not because you hold tightly to Jesus, but because Jesus holds tightly to you. Um, and in this story, we see that Mephibosheth knew that he didn't deserve this. He knew he didn't, but he accepted it. And that's what the gospel is. We don't deserve Jesus pursuing us. We don't deserve God's love, but he's given it to us anyway. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to trust him? Are we going to trust the one that gave his entire life? And are we going to follow him out of thankfulness for what he's done? Are we going to accept it? Are we going to let him love us? So, like I said, if y'all remember anything from me, the most important thing I want you to remember is the truth of the gospel. And that you're never too far gone to cry out to Jesus. And you're never too far gone for him to save you, ever. So, I'm going to pray. And worship team, y'all can go ahead and start coming back up. And then we'll sing our last song. Heavenly Father, I just praise you for this truth, Lord, that you lavish kindness on us even when we are crippled and defeated and broken and can't offer anything. Thank you for your grace. Pray we'll live in it more and more, Lord, that we won't buy into this lie that we have to accept you by grace and then just prove that we're saved by works but lord we'll keep living by grace relying on you crying out to you remembering the gospel and growing to become more and more like your son jesus it's in his name i pray these things amen